church, let's give him a shout of praise in this place for all the wonderful things he's done in our lives. There's so many things to give him thanks for. We worship you, Jesus. We thank you. And you may be seated. Fantastic. Let's give our musicians and our singers a massive, huge thank you for blessing us this morning. Fantastic. Well, this morning I'm going to continue speaking about what I've been looking at over the last few weeks regarding growing in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Peter 3, Peter uses this phrase and enables us to see that life, the Christ life, is about growing. Peter talks about growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's wonderful to have a life that is not going backwards or has not come to a standstill as a result of having Jesus at the center of our lives. He enables us to grow. That's a wonderful thing. We are all growing in His grace. Now, last week I said to you that grace is not invisible. Grace is very tangible. Grace, when it's growing in your life, is visible. It's not invisible. It's not, it's not out of touch with life, but it's very relevant to life. So as we discover this grace in our lives, we will begin to see something that's very visible, something that's very tangible, something that's very practical, reaching into the lives all around us. It's wonderful when you look at the life of Jesus. John, in his opening line about Jesus, when he wrote his gospel, talking about Jesus, said, he was full of grace and full of truth. What does that mean, to be full of grace? What does it mean? What does it look like? Is it, is it just something, you know, is it just a statement that he made? Or was it something that they saw? Well, he goes on to tell us that they saw this grace, that it was actually very tangible, very visible, and he called it glory. He said, we beheld his glory as we walked with him, as, as we saw him interact with people on a daily basis, not just come to church services, but actually go into life every day. We saw this grace. We beheld this grace, and it was glorious grace. This same grace that Jesus was so full of is growing in us. That's a wonderful thing because you're going to see things come out of your life that are going to amaze you. You may have already seen this happening. It wouldn't surprise me if you had because this grace is not it's not determined by you. It's not aided by you. It's completely, you know, outside of everything that we can do. It's as a result of the Holy Spirit's power, presence, and life living in us. So this grace is growing inside of you, and it's not invisible. It's very visible. It's very demonstrative. And it's not just, you know, I said this last week, it's not just, you know, full of good intentions. Grace is not full of good intentions. Grace is full of actions. It really is. You know, the most exciting book in the Bible is not 
called the book of good intentions. It's called the book of Acts. It's where people were filled with the grace of God, where the grace of God rested heavily upon them. And as a result of that grace, they went out into their world and they began to they began to uh, act in the Holy Ghost, and everybody became aware of it. Whole cities were under its influence as the church grew in this grace, and as this grace became very tangible and very visible and changed the whole world in which they lived. This grace we're growing in. This grace we're, we're seeing. Now, as we, as we live our lives as we go, you know, into our homes and into our places of work, wherever we are in our world, we're going to see this grace in a very tangible way, in a very real way, in a very practical way. You and I are going to be presented with many, many opportunities. We're going to be presented with many um, Moments where this grace wants to reach out of us and reach into the world of other people. Do you know the world that you cannot enter is a world that you cannot reach? It really is. Jesus entered into the world of everybody. This grace that he was so full of was relevant to every need that he met in, on, a, on a day-to-day basis. He never ran away from the issue. He never hid away in the corner and said, not another multitude, not another problem, not another impossibility. No, he ran towards it. This grace impelled him. This grace moved him. He couldn't stay in his synagogue listening, you know, to the dry, sort of boring, historical understanding of a God of the Old Testament. No, he realized that he was the new covenant embodiment of God in the flesh, and as a result of that, he couldn't stay in a building. He was empowered by the Spirit to get out into people's lives and just be who he was, and he met needs wherever he was. He entered into the world of the leper, and he brought cleansing. He brought wholeness. He brought movement. He brought strength. Can you see how grace makes you relevant? Religion never makes you relevant. So they would come up with their excuses, they would come up with their criticism and their judgmental remarks about the world that was on the outside, and they would say, well, look, we never want to cross over into that world. It's a sinful world. It's a world full of rejection. It's a world full of pain. It's a world full of darkness. They don't belong in here. We don't belong out there. Keep the barriers up. Jesus comes into it all. He said, I'm anointed by the Spirit. To, to do what I've come to do, I'm going to preach good news to the poor, I'm going to heal the brokenhearted, I'm going to go into their prisons and I'm going to get them out. Anybody that's captive is going to go free. Why? Because he was full of grace. Law can never do that. But this living, active power of grace that's never just confined to a doctrine, but is a very tangible, powerful demonstration of God's love and God's care. He went and he demonstrated that. He entered into the world of the leper. He entered into the world of the blind. He entered into the world of the unclean, of the unforgiven, and he brought forgiveness and he brought wholeness and he brought care wherever he went. It amazes me when I look at Jesus, at all of these different people that he met. Was he just some kind of great individual? Well, yes, he was. 
Was, you know, was he just this, this incredibly positive person that was very unique? Well, we know he was unique because he was the Son of God and is the Son of God. But you see, this grace that he was full of made him relevant, made him relevant for every need that he was faced with. You know, I remember hearing a story about some architects and designers and engineers who got together. They wanted to construct a bridge over the Niagara River right by the Niagara Falls. So they came together over a series of weeks and they began to plan and they began to, you know, look at all of the calculations that they needed to do to construct a bridge from the New York State side of America over that great raging river to the Ontario side in Canada. And after lots and lots of meetings and time spent, they concluded that they could not build a bridge over that raging river. And then one man who was not a part of those meetings and who was not a part of that team that made those calculations became aware of their meetings and said to them, he said, I've got an idea and I, I know, I think I know how we can get a bridge over this river. They turned around to him and they said, impossible. Impossible. We've done our maths. We've done our calculations. All of the expertise in the room over these series of weeks has concluded that this is an impossibility. We don't have the lifting equipment to lift the structure in place. It's impossible. Well, the simple man said to them, he said, well, look, meet me at the banks of the river tomorrow and and I'll show you my idea. So the next morning they came with all of their expertise and the the, the humble man came with a simple kite. And and they they looked at him and they said, well, what are you going to do with that? He said, well, he said, this is how I'm going to get a bridge from this side of the river to that side of the river. And they looked at him and they said, what are you talking about? Are you crazy? We've done our mathematical equations. We've come to our summary. It's impossible. So the man began to uh, fly the kite. And the wind caught the kite, which was attached to a very fine strand of cotton. And his friend over the other side of the raging river, once the kite had landed on the other bank, caught the kite. And then the man to that fine piece of strand of cotton tied a thicker piece of string and then to the string they attached a thicker cord and then to the cord they attached a steel strand a a steel rope and then to the steel rope they began to attach the the steels and before they knew it they had a bridge over that raging river to the to the to the group that had done all of their calculations it was an impossibility but to the man that didn't wasn't party to that, those meetings and those calculations and all of that rules and all of those facts that they had come to, to that man, it was possible. To that man, it, he was enabled to do what they couldn't do. Why? Because he thought differently. He thought differently. And there's a bridge today across that raging river. Because one man thought out of the box. Because one man wasn't in the group collective. Because one man dared to be different. Do you know, I believe that the grace of God is much like that man that flew his simple kite. The grace of God that's growing up inside you. 
There may be a raging river across your way trying to hold you back and trying to obstruct you and trying to stop you getting to the people that you want to go to, the people that are in your world. You just got to fly a kite. Everybody else has said, no, the rejection that they're coming at us with is too much. No, the, 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 the arguments are too strong. We'll never get over to the other side where they are because of all of the obstructions and because of this raging river that's, that's there. Just fly a kite. Fly a kite. Your, your kite might be an act of kindness, a simple act of kindness that has never been given to that person that's on the other side of that river. Your, your kite may be a kind word to a friend that everybody else is skirting around in work. Your, your kite may be cooking a meal for somebody that is being gossiped about, that's always the butt of other people's jokes. Your kite may be that you, you look after a younger person that, that is looking for direction in their life, that everybody else has, has, you know, branded as no good and useless. What is your kite that you're going to fly across that river into the world that other people don't want to reach, that other people don't want to go into? What is your kite? I tell you now, the grace of God that's growing inside of you is going to show you. It's going to show you. And not only is it going to show you, it's going to empower you with a strong desire, an unrelenting desire to go ahead and do it. Where other people have made their calculations and said, do you know what? That person, it's just going to take too much investment to get involved in their life. Or they've concluded, do you know what? I'm, I'm just staying away from that person. Why? Because I don't know. I just get this feeling when I'm around them. I, I just get a negative vibe. Well, do you know, Jesus never had those kind of issues. The grace of God was so full within him. Prostitutes came to him. Tax collectors came to him. Sinners came to him. Every type of person came to Jesus. And the Bible says this, he didn't reject them. He received them all. He received every last one of them, my friends, and the grace of God poured out of him, the kindness of God. They thought that God was cruel and angry and bitter and hard, and here comes Jesus down the street, the grace of God full, full of the grace of God, and he's just diffusing it wherever he goes. Absolutely wonderful. That's why he's got a beautiful name. Really is. That's why he's got the name above every name. Because he's so wonderful and kind and loving. Can you pass me one of those, Ray? You see, this could be your kite. Or this. Your little kite. This is going to be your little kite. And at the moment, that person, you know, there's a, a raging river. Oh, I, don't want, I don't want anything to do with God. I don't want anything to do with church. That's not an unnatural response. That's quite normal, friends. I mean, you and I had that same, that same process of thinking in our minds. We, had, we came to that same conclusion. Like, our, Why do we find it so offensive? I don't find it offensive when people say that to me. 
I, I think, yeah, that's where I was. That's where I was. And people curse and people sweat. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, go ahead. Say as much as you want. Do what you want. Because I was there with you. I understand it. I understand it. But you know what? When the grace of God starts to just be poured on people's lives, the goodness of God starts to team out of you. The kindness of God. And, and they begin to see that, you know what? You're not offended. You're, you're accepting of them. No matter what they, they throw at you, you're accepting of them. The grace and the kindness of God will start to break down those barriers. They really will. I had this thought. I wasn't going to say it, but, I, you know, I think it'll maybe just, maybe just help. Do you know sometimes we, we make a big thing about repentance? Repent! Repent! And, and repent means change your mind. That's what it means, right? It really does. Change your mind. Change your mind. Now, if somebody has got a real negative... Now, stay with me, right? If somebody's got a real negative picture about God, and I go up to them and say, change your mind about God. And they think, well, how can I change my mind about God? My experience tells me and all of the facts on the table tell me that, you know, I've got enough evidence to believe that God is angry, that, that God is against me. Why should I change my mind? It's like, let's say Noel, for instance, right? Let's say I've done something wrong to Noel. And Noel's really hurt by what I've done to him. And I go up to Noel and I say, Noel, change your mind about me. Change your mind, Noel. I want, you to, I want you to think well of me. I want you to think good of me. I want you to change the way that you think about me. Noel's going to turn around to me and say, well, Dave, you know, what you did to me and the way you've treated me, why should I change my mind about you? Right? So, God understands this. God understands that people have got a problem with him. He really does. He understands that people have gone through life and they've, they've gone through hard experiences and as a result of that, they've concluded that God's against them. God fully understands that. So what does he do? In Romans 2, it tells us he pours his goodness on them, right? He doesn't tell them initially to repent. He doesn't tell them initially to, to, to change their thinking about him. He just comes and lavishes his goodness on them. And he pours his goodness and he pours his grace and he keeps on pouring his goodness and he keeps on pouring his grace to the point that people one day wake up to the fact that God's grace and God's goodness is being so lavished on them that they conclude, ooh, I think I'll change my mind about God. If I want Noel to change his way of thinking about me, it's no good me sitting down instructing Noel to, to change his thinking about me. I've got I've to start lavishing goodness on Noel. 
I've got to start giving Noel a bit of evidence to actually substantiate what I'm asking him to do. So I've start, got to start being kind to him. I've start, got to start being good to him. I've, I've got to start from my heart really proving to Noel that there's a reason for him to change his thinking about me. And it's exactly the same with God. God knows what people need. God knows the rejection that people have in their heart when you meet them. But as a result of His grace coming out of you, as a result of the goodness that's flowing from your heart, there will be a change of mind. You're going to pray with people. Where, wherever you are, you're going to pray with them. You're going to lead them to Christ. You're going to lead them to Christ. Because they're not, they're not going to be able to, to, to stop it because of the goodness and the blessing and the grace that's on them. Do you know the Bible actually says that God pours His grace on the righteous and the unrighteous? I love that. I love that. God's not, you know, ticking one class of people and crossing another class of people off. He says whether they're righteous or whether they're unrighteous, I love them and I'm going to pour my goodness on them. I'm going to give them a good day and that will help you when you're praying for people. It really will. Pray for God's goodness and God's favor to be increased on people that you know that don't know Jesus yet. And it will be increased. It really will. I want to just turn our attention a moment to Luke chapter 10. And we're going to read from there. Story that we all know very well. Story that Jesus used about a good Samaritan. And there's a man on the Jericho Road that was in terrible need. He needed a bridge to be built into his life. This really shows us what grace is all about. It shows us that grace is very visible, very tangible, very evident, and relevant to every need that you might meet in life. Let's read it. Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked, passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And the man said to Jesus, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Incredible incident that Jesus used, and it really does very forcibly prove a point to us. It really, really proves quite a radical point to all of us what grace is all about. 
Because here, the first man that passed, the first man that saw, the first man that could have got involved and should have got involved was a priest. And, you know, the priests of that day and that time had all of the externals. They dressed, they could be identified as religious people because of the religious uniform that they wore. And this man came upon this other man's needs and he looked, he saw the dilemma and the, the terrible plight that this, this man lying on the floor was in. And on seeing him, he makes a quick calculation. You see, when you're faced with need, when you're faced with a, a situation where you see a problem or a need in somebody else's life, human nature is to make a calculation. Human nature is to make a quick calculation as to what's required to get involved in that person's life. And sometimes when, you know, the figures don't add up, we just walk by on the other side. And it's easy to do. It really is. This priest, this religious man did that. The priests of that day would wear the first five books of the law on their bodies. Sometimes they would wear it on their forehead. Sometimes they would wear it on their, on their wrist. And it, again, it was a sign that, you know, I know God. It was a sign that, you know, I know the, the, the law, the first five books of the Bible. I'm a religious man. I'm a God-fearing man. But you know what? All of that made this priest completely irrelevant to the need that faced him in his daily life. It really did. He was completely irrelevant. And I'll tell you why he was irrelevant. Because he had no grace inside him. When the grace of God is in you, when you're growing in this grace, you will be relevant to every need, to every person that you meet. We're going to be in our world tomorrow. We're going to be in our world as soon as we leave this building. And there's going to be needs that are coming at us. There's going to be opportunities that are, that are coming forward to us. Just let the grace of God come out of you. Let the grace of God team out of you and do what only it can do in, in, in the lives of others, in the needs that you, that you meet. It may be, like I say, a kind word. It may be just the offer of help, time, commitment. We should all have people in our lives that we're committed to for the next 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years that are not even here yet. Let me, let me ask you, are there people in your lives that don't know Jesus yet? That you've committed yourself to? No matter what they go through, no matter where they are, no matter how dire the need is, no matter how dark the situations of life that they are in, you have resolved that you will commit your life to them. Why? Because they're languishing on their Jericho road and they don't even know it. They're languishing in life and not, not knowing where they're going to go, not knowing what they're going to do, but at some point they're going to hit a crisis. Who's going to be there? You are. You are. We should all have people in our lives. And if you haven't got people in your lives that weekly or regularly you are spending time with, let me encourage you. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. He will. 
He really will. Pray the same prayer that I'm praying, that I've prayed, Lord Jesus, I want to be just like you. Make me a friend of sinners. Make me, I want so many sinners in my life, I tell you, I can't move for them. I want my house filled with them. I want my life filled with them. Why? Because this grace inside me that's growing inside me, that's crying and aching inside me needs an expression. It needs an outlet. And it's not going to find an outlet with just Christians. It needs the lost. It needs those who are sitting in darkness. They need to see this great light that's coming from you and me, friends. And if you've got friends... That, that don't know Jesus, and, you know, they are proper good old-fashioned sinners, thank God for the blessing that He has given you. I'm telling you, you're exceedingly blessed. You really are. You are blessed and favored by God to have people in your life that rely on you, that call on you, that ask you instruction and advice Thank God for, for it and pray for them every day, every day. But I encourage you, I encourage you, let's take stock of our lives. Let's not get comfortable. Ask the Lord, say, Lord, give me one, one. And do you know what? I tell you, there is no prayer that you can pray that will make the heart of God happier than, than this. Lord, make me a laborer. I can see that the fields are white unto harvest. Make me a laborer, God. Make me a worker in this harvest field. Give me one person that I can work with. Give me one person that I can commit my life to for the next 50 years until I go down in the grave. Give me one person. If it's only one person, I will be faithful with that one person. If they never come to church, Lord, I will be faithful with that one person because you have given your blood for them. Let's pray that prayer, church. Let's pray that prayer. And I guarantee it, people will come from everywhere. They really will because the grace of God will rest on you. The grace of God will grow in you and it'll grow beyond you and it'll reach out to others. Don't be offended by what they say. Don't be offended by what they do. You know, Again, I've got to say this, right? Paul said, look, if people are committing sin in the church, we've got to deal with it. But when you go out there and they're doing all this, that, and the other, and they're telling, telling you about all of their antics and glorifying it and saying, this sin, oh, it's fantastic, this sin. You know what? Paul said, it's fine. Just, just get in there with them. Talk to them. Be the light. Don't condemn them. I can give you scripture for it. I can give you scripture for it. Jesus said, go into the world and declare the gospel. Preach the good news. He didn't say, stay inside and wait for them to come and knock on your door. And wait for them to ask you. He said, no, just go. And that doesn't mean to say, you know, that you get a big, you know what I'm talking about. You know, get a sandwich board and go all religious. No, just, just dispense the aroma of God in your world. Amen. Amen. Because you're growing in grace. You really are. But this man, he had all of the right externals, but he had a hard heart and he walked on by. The Levite, the Levite had a great history. If you were a Levite, man, you were awesome. You were born from, you know, Aaron's line, which was 
thousands of years old. It had come down from one generation to another generation. And if you were a Levite, you were renowned in society, you know, in, in, in that day. So he had great history, great heritage, but with all of his heritage, he could do nothing. You know, sometimes people pride themselves on the great home that they've come up through. Nothing wrong with great homes. But can you reach the world that you're living in today, friends? You know, people pride themselves with, with all of the stuff that they've grown up with. Great. But I'll tell you something now. Some of the greatest workers in the New Testament church were tax collectors, sinners, and prostitutes. Who was the first person that went to the tomb when everybody else was running away? It was a prostitute who had been touched by grace, who had been changed by the power of God. Let me tell you, history and heritage mean absolutely squat in the kingdom of God if you're not growing in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It was a prostitute that led all the, the disciples and Peter that had this you know, stupendous revelation about Jesus being the rock. It was a prostitute. A saved one. A changed one, may I add. <laughs> that brought them all in a room to tell them about the resurrection. No, history and heritage mean nothing if we can't get into the needs of the world that's calling us to come. Then this man comes, the Samaritan, and Jesus is talking to a Jew when he reiterates this incident to him. And he begins to talk to this man, you know, who knew the law. He was a lawyer. And Jesus praises the good Samaritan. He praises this man that the Jews would have called a dog, a scum. The, the, the Samaritans had a Religion that was mixed, it had a bit of God, it had a bit of this. It was like, you know, a big mixture of religion. But you know what? In all of the mixture of this man's religion, he did something. He did something. He might not have had his doctrine right. He might not have been able to, you know, sort of tell people what the law was and the way to God was. He was confused. But you know what? Jesus used this man and he said, he has done what God requires. He was moved with compassion. And he helps the man. He builds a bridge. He goes over to the other side. He obviously didn't even calculate what was needed. He just acted. This wasn't good intention. This was action. Action. Grace enables you to act. Grace empowers you to act. Grace makes you relevant and you're growing in it. We are growing in it, friends. We may not be there yet, but we're getting there. I remember on one occasion, leaving the office one day, driving down the road, and as I got to the end of the road, I saw a drunken man stumbling and he fell over, paralytic drunk, banged his head and then there was a cut on his head. And I drove past, to my shame, to my shame. But sometimes your hard heart becomes the greatest point of instruction for you for future days. It really does. I got literally, it must have been a minute down the road. And it dawned on me what I'd done. I thought, my God, what have I done? I'm supposed to be a pastor. 
and I've drove past a man in need. I've drove past a drunken man. And you can come up with all of the, well, he's drunk and he shouldn't have done this and he shouldn't have done that. You can make your calculations. You can justify your actions. God doesn't care about our justification. He cares about the, the guy that's cut his head. I drove back and I thought, man, and it was literally a minute maximum. And as I got back, there was an ambulance there. And there were people there picking that man up and trying to help him. And the Holy Spirit said this to me very clearly. Not in a condemning way or slapping me across the head, but he's the teacher. Do we want him to teach us? We do. He said, Dave, it only takes a moment to miss an opportunity. And that's what happened. You missed it. You missed your opportunity. When you grow in grace, you seize the opportunity. You don't miss it. Jesus never missed anything. He heard what his father said and saw what his father wanted done. And he said, it's written in the volume of the book, I have come to do your will, O God, and do it, I am. Doing is a verb. It's an active, it's an active word. It's not thinking. It's not intention. It's doing. Oh, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, who went about doing, doing, not thinking, not intending, doing good. You're empowered to do good. Why? Because grace is growing in your life. Opportunity is queuing up to meet you. Why? Because God believes in you. It's a Holy Ghost setup. Your life is going to be a series of opportunities where people are going to come to you from the left and the right and you're going to get involved. You're going to be relevant and they're going to be looking at you, not looking at a church, looking at you, looking at the family that you belong to. You're going to be relevant to them. You're going to meet them. You may say, well, I'm not good looking enough. I know the feeling, but you're still going to be relevant. You are. You are, because grace is attractive. It doesn't matter what you look like on the outside. It doesn't matter what you sound like. It doesn't matter if you get your words mixed up. It doesn't matter if you're an extrovert or an introvert. Grace, grace is attractive. Grace is relevant. Grace is powerful and will enable you to do what you thought you could never do. And it will bring great glory and praise to God. I'm going to ask the musicians to come up. This man was moved with compassion. Do you know, for me, I think this guy, this good Samaritan, had done this on a number of occasions. I think he woke up every day thinking, right, what needs am I going to meet today? What life needs? What life crises? What injuries am I going to meet along the way of life today? I'm going to need to take some oil and wine and bandages. I'm going to need to take my first aid kit where I'm going to be relevant because I'm going to be met by life today and somebody's going to need me. Somebody's going to need you when you leave this building. They're going to need you. They're going to have needs Jesus said, I must go through Samaria. I must pass through this area. And the disciples 
are wondering why do we go through Samaria? It's a detour. It's a longer way to go to where we're going. Why are you making this detour? And he said, I must need go through Samaria. Why? Because there was a woman at a well that needed grace. They were get, she was getting criticism and backbiting and being sidestepped by everybody. She needed grace and Jesus went to her Jericho Road. Jesus went to meet her. Laboring, laboring. This is what laboring's all about. This is what laboring in the harvest. Do you know, I remember a time ago where we were going out to Ringland, reaching out there on, in that community, and within a week, we had young people coming, young people coming, crowding the bus. And all we were doing, do you know all we were doing, it was a simple act of kindness. Katie was there. Tony Davis were there. They'll tell you about it. Just giving them a cup of tea and some cakes. And they, they were so attracted to that kindness, to that good work. And before we knew it, they were coming into the building. And they were taking people's seats. And people were getting a little bit cross. Because they were using some words that may be not conducive to a place like this. Four-letter words. And it wasn't love. <laughs> or thank you. That's got more than four letters. But if you add them up together, it's not far off. No, it was different letters. Different words. And people were coming up to me and, and the team. You can't let them sit there. Why? It's only a seat. But it's my seat. It's on my side. I always sit there. I thank God that this family has changed. Amen. I thank God that this family is full of laborers, full of people that love other people, that welcome others. I thank God for that. It's a great attribute to have. It really is to have the love of God inside your heart for another human being to actually see just one person amidst the, the, the many millions of people to see one person and be moved to, for one person because you understand that the precious blood of Jesus was given just for one. It's a wonderful thing. And they came and weeks before I remember just being in, in a building over there and we told people in the church that we were going out to Ringland. We said, we're going to be praying before we go out. So we got together, small team, Katie, Tony, a few others, and then maybe about 10 or 15 other people came. Oh man, 10 minutes before we went to Ringland, they prayed the house down. When you listen to their prayers, it sounded as if they were going to change the world. Their praying was so powerful. Their praying was so strong and passionate. You thought that everything was going to change as a result of their prayers. And then we entered into the world of other people. And they came face to face with the people that they had prayed with just 15, 20 minutes before. Do you know what? The next week we didn't see them. The people in Ringland were, were waiting. The young kids in Ringland were waiting. 
but the, you know, the prayed up saints, the ones that had all of the, all of the words in place and all of the rhetoric, they never came again. And we were reduced to our little team, Katie, Tony, Dave Boeing, and others who just went out there and faithfully served these kids. You see, the world that you cannot enter is a world that you cannot engage with. The priest couldn't enter into the world of that man that was languishing and dying. The Levite couldn't, but the Samaritan could. Why? Because he had a heart of compassion. And he saw beyond the investment. He saw beyond the commitment. He saw beyond all of the time and effort that it would take to get that man back on his feet. He saw a person created in God's image after his likeness in need of help. He took him to the inn and he paid the bills to get him back to life. Church, I want to say this today. Grace of God is visible. It's tangible. It's evident. It moves. It's not a doctrine to argue with or to play about with. It's a demonstration. Jesus never talked about grace. He demonstrated it. He demonstrated it. He diffused it wherever he was. This grace we are growing in. This grace is on us. And this city and our world that we go into every day is going to see it. Amen. Amen. Let's close our eyes just for one moment. I'm going to pray. Maybe today you've heard me talk and talked a lot about Jesus. And you don't know Jesus today. You've never prayed a prayer asking him into your heart. You say, Dave, well, my idea of God is that I've got to clean my life up. No, you haven't got to clean anything up. Jesus has done it all. The only thing you have to do is trust everything he's done for you. The Bible says it's by grace that we've been saved through faith. And this is not of ourselves. It's a free gift from God. You're going to get a free gift right now if you will accept it. God wants to give you a free gift. It's not cheap because it's free. He's paid the ultimate price to get that gift to you, to save you, to make you whole. I'm going to pray a prayer if you want to ask Jesus into your heart right now. Would you quietly whisper this prayer and the peace of God is going to come into your heart. He's going to touch you today. You're going to enter into a relationship and a friendship with him for the rest of your life. While eyes are closed, pray this prayer right now. Whisper it with me. Just say, Jesus, Jesus, today I call on your name. I ask you to save me. Forgive me of my sin that separated me from you. I believe that you died on the cross so that I could receive forgiveness from you. I believe that you are alive and that you want to live in my heart. I accept that simply by faith and trust right now. Amen. Now, while eyes are closed, if you prayed that prayer, would you lift your hand up? That's it. That's it, mate. Keep your hands up. That's it. That's it. We'll wait a minute. That's it, sir. That's it. Well done. Well done. Yeah. 
at the back. Listen, I want to I wanna invite you guys just to come to the front a moment. Don't be embarrassed. Bring your belongings. Don't be embarrassed. Bring your friend with you if you want to, okay? We want to give you a little booklet. I want to shake your hand. This whole place is going to go absolutely wild. Come quickly. Don't be afraid. That's it, mate. Come forward. Come forward. We give you praise, Jesus. We give you praise. We're just going to ask some ushers to come, some, some of the welcome team. Man, you live in that house. Amen. Listen, this is absolutely fantastic. This is absolutely fantastic. And what we're going to do right now, right? We're going to just lift our hands up, right? And we're just going to say thank you to Jesus. Don't ever be afraid to do this. I know sometimes we can get afraid because this is a very public thing. But what Jesus Christ did for each one of us was extremely public. He was stripped naked. He was beaten within inches of his life. And then he was crucified on a cross. And people, you know, insulted him and terrible things. So what happened to Jesus on the cross was very public. So it's good for us to do this publicly, okay? Amen. Lord Jesus, I pray for every person here this morning, every man and woman, Lord, every child out there. Lord, we thank you for each person. They're so precious, so loved by you. Lord, I pray that in the days and the weeks to come, Lord, that they would be placed in this house, that we would love them as your people, and they would be a part of your body. Lord, I thank you that every single person here this morning is unique. I thank you, God, that you have removed, as far as the east is from the west, all of their sins. Lord, I thank you that they are new creatures in Christ Jesus, and we give you praise for them. In Jesus' name.